Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. in the Mythological African's Twitter space. In today's episode, we read folk tales from East Africa. The book we're reading this evening, When the Stones Were Soft, East African Fireside Tales, was an Anansi Book Club uh, read a couple of months ago, but it's a collection of stories, so I figured we could go back and revisit some of the stories in case you've read the book before, or if you're new to it, then you get to discover some folklore from um, the eastern part of the African continent. And um, from if you read the introduction to the book, the preface, she talks about where these books, sorry, where these stories are coming from. And because in the title, of course, it says East African Folktales, but the, the stories actually come from Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. And if I'm reading correctly, the, the, the language that is not English in the book, the expressions that are not in English are in Swahili. Um, so if anybody's from that part of the world and um, I'm messing things up, please, by all means, let me know. So um, these are a collection of stories from across uh, different East African countries. So there are possibly Maasai stories in here, Kikuyu stories, uh, Buganda stories, um, and of course, stories from among the Swahili speaking peoples. So um, we'll read four stories from this book um, if we have time. Um, between the discussions, of course, and I figured um, we we might as well kind of get into a humorous, lighthearted exploration of what um, these stories reveal about how people perceive themselves as humans, first and foremost, but also specifically as men and as women. So the four stories I thought we might read um, is the story of why cats live with women. This is on page 85 of the book. The story of why dogs live with men, that's on page 42. And then we'll read the story of men of different colors, that's on page 91. And then we'll end with the story of the silent maiden. And these are, you know, stories that explore different themes. I'm really excited to, to delve into all of this with all of you. Um, we'll read those stories, we'll explore, you know, the framing gender, you know, not to make it too academic, but just like what, what do these stories reveal about how these people see themselves as humans, as men, as women? And that will be it. That will be it. So welcome everybody once again. And if you're new to the space, what happens is that after my long-winded introduction, which is about to end, I promise, um, I'll read the story and then we'll pause to talk about it. You know, my usual question is, what do you guys think about this one? And what I'm looking for, um, what I'm hoping to hear from you folks, is one, if if the story sounds like something you've heard from your part of the world before, because I'm always so interested in those connections. So if there's if the story in general or an idea or a theme is similar from a story from your part of the world, African continent or otherwise, um, I really want to hear about that as well. Um, but just impressions of the story, what was funny, what was strange, what was different. 
and then we'll read the next story and have the same conversation and sometimes the conversations will go on really long tangents so um that's that's the fun of the sessions all right so let us go ahead and get started and i'm going to go through again and make sure everybody has the ability to speak that way if you want to you can and we'll go right ahead with the stories um all right so the story of why cats live with women page 85 All right. Watiri had a gray-striped kitten. Everywhere the little girl went, the kitten went too. One evening, Watiri stopped to bring Mama Sema Mingi to the story circle. The kitten, of course, was at her heels. The grandmother chuckled. He's like your shadow. That's Baka. Dear, yes, grandmother. He likes me. As they crossed to join the others, Watiri asked, Do you know any stories about cats? I've never heard you tell one. Yes, child, grandmother replied. I know a story about a cat. That is the one I shall tell today. So when grandmother, who they called Mama Semamingi, was seated on the stool, she looked around the circle of bright eyes watching her and said, Tonight, I'm going to tell you a story about a cat. Watiri's cat helped me remember it. Would you like to hear it? Dio, yes, please tell us, the children replied. So, here it is. Long, long ago, before men lived in villages, animals lived alone, each by himself in his little bit of bush or grassland. Paka the cat was one of them. He hunted alone. Because he was so small, he caught little and was often hungry. And he was lonely too, so he decided to look for a companion. First he met Sungura the hare. Good day to you, Sungura, he said. How would you like to live with me? It sounds like a fine idea, the hare said. I'm often lonely. So Sungura and Paka built a grass home under the roots of a big tree where they lived happily. But one day... Bueha the jackal came along sniffing at the earth. He paused at the door of the grass house and growled. Sungura trembled in fear and hid far back under the tree roots. Why are you afraid? asked Paka the cat. Because Mbuehwa would eat me if he could catch me, replied the hare shakily. So you are a coward, sneered Paka. I can't live with a coward. I must find a friend who is strong and brave. The cat came out the house and said to Mbuewa, the jackal, Please, will you let me live with you? You're strong enough to frighten Sungura. I need a friend and protector. You may come with me if you like, Mbuewa replied. But remember, you must do your share of the hunting. And so Paka the cat attached himself to Mbuewa, the jackal. They hunted together happily until one day they saw Fisi the hyena coming over the hill. Run, Mbuehar said. Run for your life. Fisi will kill you if he catches you. And without a backwards glance, Mbuehar ran away into the bush. Paka stood uncertainly. So he's a coward too, he thought. If he's afraid of Fisi, the hyena must be very strong. I'll go with him. Fisi, he called. May I hunt with you? You? 
small creature like you as a hyena, you would only be a nuisance. No, Fissy, I, I could find game for you. You are so big and strong and I should be safe with you. Fissy raised his huge head proudly. Yes, you may hunt with me then. Come along. Paka the cat hunted with Fissy the hyena. And he was a good helper as he promised. He was glad to see that Fissy seemed afraid of no one. One day, as the two friends were hunting on the plain, they caught sight of a fast-moving golden animal with lovely black spots. Fissi the hyena dropped low into the grass and whispered to Paka, Try to stay hidden. If Duma the cheetah sees us, he will kill us both. Are you afraid of Duma? asked the cat. Indeed I am, and you should be too, replied the hyena. Then I cannot stay with you, said Paka, and he ran away into the grass to find the cheetah. Duma! Duma! called the cat. Duma, wait for me. And who are you? asked the beautiful cheetah. I am only Paka the cat. I am lonely and afraid to be by myself. You must be very strong for Fissi is afraid of you. Of course I am strong, said Duma proudly. I want to be the friend of the strongest animal in the land. Then stay with me, said the cheetah. And for a long time, Duma and Paka hunted together. Large antelopes were afraid of the cheetah. He is indeed strong, thought the little cat. One day, the two friends were hunting in the bush when Paka stepped on a thorn. He meowed loudly and Duma turned on him with an angry snarl. Be quiet, can't you see that man over there? Man? What is man? asked the puzzled cat. Only the strongest creature there is. He carries a long stick with a sharp point and can kill any man in the bush or veld. Keep away from him. I thought you were afraid of no one, said Paka. You aren't strong enough to be my friend. I shall go with man. And so the cat ran from the bush towards a strange tall creature called man. Followed him quietly. They walked to a round, round house with a grass roof. And pausing before the door, the man called. Hodi, may I come in? No, you may not come in, came an angry shout from inside. You are very late and the food is burned. You may stay outside and be hungry. Sadly, the man shook his head. The woman is angry. I must stay outside until her temper cools down. So, thought Paka, man is not the strongest creature. Woman is stronger. I will stay with her. And to this very day, cats live in the house with the women. What do you guys think of this one? I have to say, this is one of my favorite stories, my favorite animal stories out there. Go ahead, Sissy. Hey, um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, it was it was pretty funny. It was um, it was interesting to see um how the cat like interpreted like the gender roles in the end, um. Because I guess you can say, like, people would think, like, the hunter would be um, the most strongest person mm-hmm. and stuff. But then you can see also that um, women still, with their roles, they still have some authority and stuff. So he was able to see from that dynamic from a different perspective, which is interesting. It was also pretty funny, too. It was. It was. <laughs> and and it's, it's an interesting um, um, exploration of the dynamic, right? Because 
of course, the man is the strongest creature. And when we read the story of why dogs live with men, you know, it's a similar type story, but coming at it from a different angle. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it, the fact that the, the woman is the one who, not, not because she's a great hunter or she has, you know, claws and teeth or anything, but just by virtue of the fact that, you know, her temper is something that the man doesn't want to have to deal with. Right. Um, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting one. And what, what I think is interesting here also is how there is a way you can read this, which um, I think, as you pointed out, you know, plays onto stereotypes. But that also is part of the fun of folktales, right? Like they, they take something that might be a heavy issue and make lighthearted fun at it. Perhaps, you know, just open, opening up a, a, a soft space for people to examine what those stereotypes are about. But um, I especially, well, mainly because I'm like chief captain cat lady myself. Like I really like my cats, as you guys probably found out <laughs> if you joined this space early. So this this is one of those stories which after I read, I'm like, you know, hey, um, explains a lot, explains a lot. But is, is this, have you heard a similar kind of story? Because I have to, I have to tell you this, right? There is this, and for those who are not um, from the African continent, um, there's, there are in many communities, like having a pet in the house can be a thing like, uh, I don't know about that. But also, especially cats, because there's like some negative stereotypes around cats, right? So I think I did a thread once um, about cats in African mythology and folklore. And let me see if I can find that thread. But there, there were like conflicting ideas. Some people love them. Some people hate them. So I, of course, we know about ancient Egypt and how much they love their cats there. Um, so this, this particular story was fun to find because it, I felt so validated as a cat lady. But also, you know, the idea that, you know, the ancestors had favorite pets that, you know, not just the hunting dogs, but, you know, cats, little things that people could cuddle up with. Uh, it it strokes my happy bone. So anyway, this is the thread I did, Um, I think it was maybe a year ago or so, about cats in African mythology and folklore. So interesting things there. But any any other thoughts, questions, reactions to this story? Is it similar to something you've heard before? Um. Yeah, when um when I start when you started reading about how like fearless Faka was and like how they did they just didn't really care like as long as there was somebody with them to take care of them I was instantly thinking about your cat in the beginning I like it just didn't even care <laughs> didn't care what you were doing he was like give me attention that's what I need right that's now that's what I need right now <laughs> to the point of knocking my phone out of my hands so <laughs> if, if, in case you're not here when we started um we had a little episode with my cat who you know has these random fits where she decides that she needs attention and she needs it immediately and if I'm not giving her attention she will scratch and meow and knock things out of my hands and she knocked my phone out of my hand so it's it and what's funny is I started reading that story and I'm thinking to myself why would you lead with the cat story like you just had the cat episode but then it seems a nice synchronicity too right because it's really just an illustration of the absolute adoration we have for these silly silly creatures do you have any pets yourself um i did have a dog in the beginning (laughs) but um life got too busy so we ended up giving Mm. him to my cousin because he had a bigger space for him so we still visit him from time to time right he doesn't live like near us i mean Mm. in my house 
But um, to your second question, most of the stories that I've heard about cats are very, very negative. Like, when I was trying to get a pet in the first place, the dog was the only option because my mom, um, she just does not do cats. Like, she's a very religious person, and she mm. thinks that cats were, like, a symbol of, like, the devil or, like, witchcraft. Um, and she just, even though, like, you know, and it was so, but what was interesting, though, because, like, um, Paca's, like, independent, like, nature or, like, how they um, really, like, left when they realized, like, the friend that they thought was the strongest, you know, um, wasn't wasn't actually in the end. Like, their kind of, like, independentness and unreliability can be interpreted, like, you know, based off of how my mom, like, would describe cats. Like, they're not loyal. Right. Like, they don't really. Like, they will abandon you the first second. Like, you know, they feel like you're not the thing that, you know, mm-hmm. grabs their attention and stuff like that. So, like, it's just so interesting. Um, to see something positive for the first time um, in an African story um, about cats. Because most of the time I've been hearing nothing but, you know, negativity and, like, stuff related to, like, demonic nature. Right, right. No, the hate is real, especially if it's, like, a black cat. And my other cat is a black cat. And so, you, you know, when I see things that pop up on the timeline about black cats, I'll go read them. And there is a lot of prejudice, even, you know, outside of the African continent against black, uh, black cats, because there is that, you know, connection to, you know, evil things and, you know, workings of the dark and stuff like that. But they're just cute little kitties, you know, they're just cute little kitties. And <laughs> they, they, can, they, they, can, they can be, they can be jerks, though, I, I have to say, like. <laughs> You know, in the story, the cat is basically who can I live with in the most comfort and with whom I will always have food. And that is true about cats. Like, you you are their servant. Those those memes you see on, on, on the internet are not jokes. You, you literally live to serve them. Like, I call my cats my liege and my queen. Like, you should hear me talking to them. You know, the one I serve. How might I be of service to you? <laughs> Because they really, really do have that attitude of, you know, you are here to take care of me. Um, but then again, there is there is the idea that, you know, you you do have to have that sense of like self-possession, right? You know, if we want to get a little deep with it, there's something a cat can teach you about looking out for yourself, you know, having boundaries because there is there's the other aspect of cats where in one second they are these cuddly 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 angels and then you scratch them in a way that they don't like and they go wow you know cats can teach you a lot about just how to be about your be about yourself how to take care of yourself and i i love that i love them for that they can be very independent but also very affectionate you know little little critters so um but yeah the the hate against cats is is real is real in many in many african communities so glad definitely excited for a positive story but the the thread i shared um if you have some time and you're curious about this some more do go take a look because that that is has been one of my favorite threads actually to put together about kitties for obvious reasons um but let's let's go on to the next story and this is the story of why dogs live with men so let's go let's see what it's about and um, I, I didn't do the proper context before we started. The way the book is structured, it's um, children in a community and Mama Semamingi, who is like one of the grandmothers, and she's the one telling her telling them stories. So the little scene you see before the story starts is what happens that leads Mama Semamingi uh, to tell the story she's telling. Okay, 
right? So why dogs live with men? Guess what, Mama Semamingi shouted Kamalo as he rushed towards the group gathering around the evening fire. My dog has three new pups. They came today. Pups? Ah, oh, they are always good luck for a boy, said Mama Semamingi. May we see them? Soon, Kamalo said. Father says we must leave them with their mother until they are stronger. Your father is right, Kamalo. They are very young. We'll see them after a few days. And more children joined the circle, all talking about Kamalo's new puppies. What shall our story be tonight, Totos? Do you know a story about pups, Mama? asked little Waikai. Not about pups, but I know one about a dog. Nastema, Nastema, tell us, tell us, said the children. Very well. Long ago, there were three dogs. Mbueha, the jackal, Mbuitu, the wild dog, and Bua, the common dog. Each dog decided to go into a different part of the world to seek his fortune. Mbueha, the jackal, went towards the west, the way of the setting sun, because he preferred the dark. Mbuitu, the wild dog, went towards the east, and the sunrise because he hunted best during daylight hours. Mbua, who was a small brown dog, could not make up his mind where to go. I'll be afraid alone in the bush without my friends, he said. I need someone to protect me. Off he went to look for a friend. Mbua had trotted a few paces when he met Topi, the heart of beast, a big antelope. Good morning, the dog said, hopefully. Topi stared at the dog. And who are you? I am Boa the dog. I have just parted from my cousins and have nowhere to go. That's sad, said Topi, looking around as if afraid. Are you afraid, Topi? You shouldn't be. You look very strong to me. The heart beast lowered his long, sad face so that he could whisper to Boa. Yes, I am frightened because there is a very dangerous creature in this country. He is small but fierce. He has four legs but walks only on two. He uses his two front legs to throw a sharp pointed thing at other animals. He can kill anything. If he should see us now, he might kill us both. He sounds very strong indeed, said the dog. What is his name? He is called Man. I shall watch out for him. Thank you for telling me, Topi. And Tumboa trotted off, thinking that a coward like the heart beast would make a very poor friend. On the edge of a small forest, Mboa met Tembo, the elephant. Surely this huge creature will be afraid of nothing. Good morning, great one, he called. Tembo swung his enormous bulk around, blinked his tiny eyes towards the dog and asked, Who spoke to me? It is I, Mboa the dog. I have nowhere to go and no friends. May I stay with you? Tembo shook his head so violently that his large, strange, long nose swung from side to side. I cannot be responsible for another. I have enough trouble protecting myself. You have trouble? marveled Boa. But you are surely the strongest creature alive. Indeed, I am not. There is a very strange, dangerous creature in this country, declared Tembo. He is small but very fierce. He has four legs but walks only on two using his front legs to throw sharp pointed sticks at other animals. He can kill anything. Surely he could not kill one so large as you. He certainly could, Mboa, said Tembo. He's very strong. 
you watch out for him. Thank you for the advice, great Tembo, Boa said, and trotted off into the bush thinking, so the elephant is a coward too. The lonely little dog had only gone so far as the next stream when he met a beautiful golden creature with a fluff of darker hair around his neck. Good morning, sir, said Boa. What is your name? I am Simba, the lion, king of the bush. What do you want of me? I am only Mboa the dog. I'm looking for a home and a friend. A friend, you say, the golden lion looked at him in scorn. Well, if you promise not to bother, you may tag along with me. So Mboa the dog and Simba the lion became friends. They hunted together in the woods and plains. Boa felt safe and happy. One day, the two were hunting when Simba, whose legs were long, trotted far ahead of the dog. Boa gave a loud woof. Quickly, the lion turned to look, fear in his yellow eyes. Who made that noise? I only barked to let you know I was coming, answered the dog. Don't do that. It frightens me. I thought you were that terrible creature of man. Are you afraid of him too, asked Mboa. Indeed I am. He's small, but very strong. He can kill anything. And from that day on, Boa no longer felt safe with Simba. He determined to find the strongest creature in the land and become his friend. Taking leave of the lion, he set out again in search of a protector. Soon, he came to a small hut beneath a spreading fig tree. There, in front of the hut, was the fearsome creature described by all the animals. He was small, very dark, and carried a long pointed stick. Good morning, said Mboa in a trembling voice. Good morning. You're a friendly creature. What is your name? I am Boa the dog. I'm looking for a friend. May I stay with you? Can you hunt? asked the man. Yes, I could help in all you do. Then you may stay. Boa was happy with the man. There was enough to eat and a warm place to sleep when it rained. The two became fast friends. And one day, as they were hunting, the dog fell behind and gave his sharp woof. Quickly, the man turned around. Don't do that. It will frighten the game. It didn't frighten you, asked the dog. Of course not. I'm not frightened of any creature. I knew it was only you barking. Just don't do it while we're hunting. At that moment... Boa the dog decided that he would always stay with man because man was indeed the bravest and strongest creature in the whole world. Any thoughts on this one? I, I have to say, right, so they're fun, they're lighthearted, um, but I find, in my opinion, that the reasons advanced for why the cat stays with the women and the reasons advance for why the dog stays with men they're very interesting anybody else think so or anybody else have thoughts on this story yeah i think it's very interesting as well and i think i also wonder like what made them decide on which animals for them to like encounter because So you mean like um, along the chain, so the hair, the heart, yeah. the elephant. I think 
Well, my quick guess, and this is not based on any, you know, definite knowledge, is just the the qualities that they, the the animals reflect the qualities that the cat or the dog is looking for in a protector, right? But also speaks to maybe to the hierarchy of relationships as they perceive, because of course, like the lion. Um, each animal, successive animal, is more powerful than the next or has an advantage over the previous one. Um, of course, with man at the top of the food chain, in which, you know, in terms of prey and predator, they are not exactly wrong. Um, but I, I, that's my instinctual response to that. Uh, but, but then, of course, as tends to be the case, you uh, listen to this story in the original language um, and understanding in the cultural context out of which it comes, and there are probably many more nuances that you would pick out um, but what what I love about these stories is how they really do illustrate, you know, the the ways in which people in the communities back then were familiar with, you know, astute observers of the world around them, um, relationships between animals, um, trees, and whatever was going on, and be comfortable enough with that to weave them, um, weave these characteristics into stories. Um, that that's really just one of the best parts about reading some of these folktales. I remember when we read story a story from the Ila people in Zambia, um, it was trying to give an explanation for why wasps, um, some, there's a species of wasp where, where what they do is when they lay an egg, they catch like a, a caterpillar or the another insect and put it in the nest with the, the egg. So when the egg hatches, it has a food source readily available. Um, so you see the wasp build this little mud um, um, mud hut and put another insect inside. And then however many days or weeks later, a brand new wasp comes out. You know, it might seem like magic. And in that story, the explanation they were given, um, the wasp did something and something happened. And what resulted was that it was able to transform other insects into its own. You know, and the, the note in that story, you know, talked about what I just said uh, about how people were really, really astute observers of nature to be able to draw those conclusions, even though like the the step from egg to wasp from other animal, there's a bit of confusion there, but it all it required was for someone to crack one of those things open one day and to see what was going on. Um, but at least as it was captured in that story, that's the explanation they gave. And we can focus on the one little detail that was wrong, or we can focus on the whole story, which really does illustrate how intimately acquainted with the world around them um, that people were to even notice a lot of these things. So um, I'm getting a bit long-winded with it here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off. But anybody else think, um, have any thoughts on this story? Um, I'm always feel very interested in if you've heard similar versions um, or other versions of the, the same story. If not, and keeping an eye on time here, maybe we'll move on to the next story. So again, we're reading from When the Stones Were Soft, um, East African Fireside Tales, and these are stories from different peoples in Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania. Um, Unfortunately, as far as I can see, the stories are not the who exactly the stories are from is not specified. So I can't give much more details than that. But um, so far, we've read why cats live with women and why dogs live with men. And we're just looking at 
the people's ideas of who they are and their relationships um, through the lens of these stories. The other two stories we want to read um, is the story of the silent maiden and the story of men of different colors. Um, and these are more um, human type stories, so not so much animal stories. Okay, so we'll start with the story of the men of different colors. And this one is on page 91. I'm going to navigate over there and we will get going. Okay, so men of different colors. There was great excitement in the village. A stranger had stopped that day. He carried large sheets of white paper. On these, he drew pictures, mostly pictures of animals, but some of people and villages and even trees. This was strange, but the strangest thing of all was the man himself. He was different, a different color, a very light red. But Karaoke and Gauchi said he was nearer white, or maybe the color of cream. His hair was different too. It didn't stay curled neatly to his scalp the way proper hair should do, but stuck up like dry grass, grass straw, straight and spiky. It was nearly the color of straw too. At first, the children were frightened of the stranger. They ran away and hid. Then, as they watched from their hiding places, they discovered that he was friendly despite his looks. He talked and smiled with the elders. Then he gave the children sweets wrapped in paper. The children had eaten these before when the men had come back from trips to the dukkha or shop of Hamid, the Indian. All day long, the talk was of the stranger. Who was he? Where had he come from? Why was he so different? When evening came and they gathered for their story, the talk was still of the stranger. Let's ask Mama Semamingi about him, said Wakai. She knows everything. Yes, agreed the others. And so when grandmother joined the circle, the children were still talking. So you want to know about the stranger, she asked. How did you know, Mama Semamingi? I guess that's all anyone has been talking about today. Why is he so different, asked one of the bigger boys. He was made that way just as you were made as you are, answered the grandmother. Did you know that people like Hamid, the Indian, are different too? None of the children had been to the shop of Hamid. They had only heard of him. No. Is he red too? He's not red or white, nor is he black. He's a brown man. My story tells about him too. Tell us, please, said the children. Zuri, good. Here it is. The great god Mungu lived in a white ice palace on top of the high mountain Kitingara. He became tired of his sparkling castle. He was lonely. I must make a friend to live with me and to help with the thunder and lightning, he thought. So the lonely mountain god set off downhill to look for some quay. He went down the mountain to the green forest below his palace. In a little open place among the trees, he found a spring of bubbling water that sparkled off down the hillside in a little stream. On either side of this stream, there was thick, dark clay, clay of a beautiful, shiny blackness. Just the thing for my man, said Mongo. He knelt on the soft earth and began to work. For many hours he toiled. When at last he had finished, he arose, clapped his hands, and he still a still statue of man opened his eyes, moved his head, and spoke to Mungu, saying, You are the great Mungu. 
You shall be my helper and live with me in my white palace, Mungu replied. I will call you Mutunyesi, the black man. So for many weeks, Mungu and Mutunyesi, black like the clay from which he was made, lived in the ice palace. The man was cold at the top of the mountain. His clay became frozen so that he felt stiff and useless. He begged Mungu to allow him to go down below to the little streams and green valleys. If you only let me go down to the green forest, then I shall be ready to help you. I can care for the lower regions while you, O Master, guard the heavens. Mungu granted the wish of Mutunyuensi. And so down the black man went into the green valleys. He was happy there, hunting and living of wild berries and fruit. But he, in his turn, became lonely and returned to the top of Kitingara. Please, O great Mungu, he said. Make another man for my companion so that I shall not be lonely. That is easily done and quickly too, replied Mungo. Let us go at once to the stream with the black clay and make a friend for you. And so they set off for the stream. When they arrived, Mutinyuensi helped his master make not one, but two more men. Three will be less lonely than two, Mungo said. And perhaps sometimes one of you can visit me on my lonely mountaintop. The great mountain god gazed into the distance, thinking. He was troubled. These three men were just alike. How could he tell them apart? He must devise some way to make them different. And so he returned to his mountaintop, leaving the three men in the forest. There he thought and thought, trying to discover some way to make his men different. One day, when Mungo was out walking, he came upon a little pure pool of water. It stood in a hollow below the great river of ice on Kitingara. When he saw this water, he thought of a plan. Then he called his three black sons and said to them, See that pool? I want each of you to take a turn washing in it. Something wonderful will happen if you do. Very well, Master Mutinyuensi, the first man said. Let my younger brothers wash before me. So he pushed one black brother forward towards the water. In he went the white liquid covering him completely. When he came out, wonder of wonders, he had lost his black color. He was a shining pinkish white. Oh, let me try, cried the next brother and ran into the shallow pool. Alas, there wasn't much water left and he was barely dampened. His color, when he came out, was a light brown. At last came the turn of Mutiensi, but there was so little water left in the pool that all he could do was wet the palm of his hands and the soles of his feet which turned a pinkish color. Mungu was very pleased. Now I shall always know my children and how to tell them apart. You, Mutinyuensi, shall remain black and be the father of a family of black children. You shall live in the plains and forests surrounding my mountain. You shall be closest because you were my first son. Then, turning to the one who had bathed first, Mungu said, you shall be known as Muzungu, the white man. And to you and your children, I give all the lands to the north. Go to them and be happy. And to the second brother, he said, You will be the father of the brown people, Muhindi. And to you, I give all the lands to the east. May your people prosper there. And so down from the mountain went the brothers, now each so different from the other. They went into their lands. And that is why, to this day, you will find brown people in the eastern lands, white people in the north, 
and Black people around a lonely mountain. Any thoughts on this one, friends? This this particular story like unlocked a memory. I forgot where I heard this, but it had the same thing about clay, but instead of like the water, it was cooking. And um, yeah. I don't know, I need to ask my mom. But um basically like, you know, they were trying to like create like the perfect vessel and one they put the pulled out the clay too um, early so it was white so they just put them in basically the same area and regions um, based off of how well done like the clay person was so yeah that was really interesting that is so cool I have never ever heard a story like this and what what I find interesting I'm I'm so glad you shared that um, Cici I really really appreciate that you do because I don't know how it was for um, some of you growing up but it wasn't often, if ever, really, that I heard a creation-type myth as told from the African perspective. It was, was that the experience for anybody else? If, if you want to talk, you can just raise your hand, or if you don't want to talk, you can just give a thumbs up or something. Also, just checking that people can hear me. All right, I'm going to go on faith that people can hear me because I'm not seeing any responses. But um, it's it's always great for me reading these stories because I didn't hear any um, creation myths. Uh, hi, Manuel. Any creation myths other than um, you know, the biblical one growing up. So, seeing these from different colors, I think um, there is also the creation um, one of the creation myths of the Bali people in Cameroon, which purports to explain why human beings have different colors. Of course, there is uh, there there are various other myths, you know, from different parts of the African continent that explain or attempt to explain the differences between Africans and people from other races. And what I what I appreciate about these stories, one is that, you know, keeping in mind how the African continent ended up, you know, the exploitation and the violations that occurred, um, the the stories that exist attest to the fact that. You know, there were friendly relationships. You know, there was trade, for example. There was travel. There was flow of religions and customs in ways which, um, you know, were not necessarily destructive to African peoples. They were just simply integrated. And the, the ultimate, you know, point I'm trying to make here is one that I make often here, that the idea of the dark continent of Africans as isolated is really one that is is not based on fact. You know, there was information going back and forth, ideas going back and forth, culture going back and forth, material culture and non-material culture. And it's it's nice to see this reflected in, in the stories, right? Um, you know, there is this, this story in particular reflects uh, the reality of the eastern part of the African continent because um, that that part of the world had exposure not only to white Europeans, but people from the Middle East, people from uh, India, people from China, people from Malaysia, people from, you know, the eastern, eastern part of the, 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 the world. And that has influenced African culture in that part of the world in ways that um, African culture on the Western coast has not been influenced. 
Meanwhile, you, of course, you have influences from um, Latin America on the Western coast back and forth because of the, the, the transatlantic slave trade. But these are all on the African continent, right? And this is a reflection of just the sheer diversity of experience and culture that, that has, has come out as a result. So um, it's, it's, it's always fun to see these stories. Um, I'm always pretty excited about them, honestly. Um, and this is something that I, I try to encourage people to do. If you don't know the creation myths, foundation myths, stories of how human beings came to be from your people, especially if you're African, it's worth noting, it's worth looking into it because you you, you just never know what you might discover about, you know, who, the way your people think and ideology and worldview. Um, but I'm talking too much as usual. So just a pause to check if anybody has any thoughts to share before we keep going. I'm really hoping we can um, get to the very, very last story here. Hello. I don't know if you can hear us, uh, Kian, or if you want to speak. Hello. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, I found this myth very interesting because in our creation myths, we are just uh, centered about our own evolution. Uh, I'm with a, um, a Mayan in the Latin American area. Mm-hmm. So we have this creational myth when first the gods created these uh, humans based in clay but they weren't good enough. They destroyed them. They use uh, wood now to create the mm-hmm. new people. They weren't good enough. They destroyed them. And suddenly we are the final product and we are made of um, corn. Very cool. Oh, wow. But for me, it was interesting because um, the African story was talking about different races right like white mm-hmm. people brown people but for us it was just us because we we didn't have contact with anyone different from us right, right so it right. was a very interesting perspective no and thank you thank you for sharing and sharing that story from um, the mayan uh creation myth because i didn't know about that one and that's that that's interesting mainly because like you said, you know, it, it shows the evolution of the Mayan people. It's like about the Mayan people. Meanwhile, this particular story from um, the eastern part of the African continent and the, the book doesn't specify which people in particular the story comes from, um, focuses more on trying to explain um, different races. And what what I think is uh, is worth remembering really to, to keep in mind is that this is one of many, 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 many different stories, right? Um, this one particularly is attempting to explain race, but listening to you talk, um, I'm curious because I'm thinking about the Yoruba uh, creation myth and what happened. Um, the the So the, the things that were made of clay and the, the humans that were made of wood, do they remain in the story, um, Kian, or were they just destroyed or did they become other kinds of humans or other kinds of creatures? No, uh, it says that this, for example, the first one was the clay ones and mm. they had like defects. They weren't like uh, intelligent enough or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so that 
gods just destroy them. Then gods try it again. Yeah, it was a couple of gods. And then just try it again with wood. And it was a little better, but not enough. And then finally try it with a corn because our culture was um, very based on corn. This mm-hmm. was a very important product. So it says like we are made of corn. It was the ultimate uh, product. Interesting. So so that's... Just so that we don't have like any clay man walking around. <laughs> Right. No, thank you so much for sharing. And I ask that in particular because in the Yoruba uh, uh, creation myths, the Yoruba people are found in Nigeria. Um, the story is that um, Obatala, one of the major, major, most powerful Orishas, who um, was charged with making human beings, um, he he started making human beings and then stopped to drink palm wine, which, as you might know, is um, a little alcoholic. And then he became intoxicated and then tried to make human beings and he, he wasn't shaping them right. And that is um, how uh, Yoruba people explain people with disabilities and things like that. So that's the, the traditional Yoruba perspective. And I, I was curious about um, I was curious about the, the clay and the wood um, humans because I wondered if that perhaps within the Mayan culture um, was uh, an explanation for people who you know have disabilities um, but it doesn't it doesn't appear to be the case it sounds like the the create the creator being just destroyed them if you're still with us Kian. Um, hopefully you can all still hear me because it has happened before where I'm talking and no one can hear me. Um, we have just about four minutes. I was really hoping that um, we'll be able to get to the very last story. Um, this is the story of um, the woman who wouldn't talk. And it's a funny one. It's a funny, funny one. So I don't know. Do you all have a couple extra minutes for us to read it or do we want to save it for another time? I would like to listen to it. <laughs> Is that is that uh, an agreement, uh, Kian? Thank you, Sissy. All right. Looks like we have people who... I'm going to interpret those two fingers things as okay, because sometimes that's also Jesus, as in I'm out of here. So, <laughs> so um, Emmanuel, I don't know if you wanted to say something. I see your mic was unmuted. If not, all right, I just saw your question. Um, so if you look in the top part, this is where Manu, if you look in the top part of the space, um, there is a link to the book. Um, it's called When Stones Were Soft, East African Fireside Tales. Um, and if you create an account with Internet Archive, it's an online uh, library, then you can check it out for free after I return it because I have it checked out right now. So hopefully, hopefully that's helpful. But um, it sounds like we do want to hear this final story. So I'm going to go ahead and read it because it's, it's, it's just too good to not read you guys. It really is. So let me, let me get myself there. Because my computer, 
refreshed as it does sometimes and then everything shuts down. Okay, so this is the story of the girl who wouldn't talk. And the silent maiden, and it's on page 72. All right. So all day long, Gachiro had been silent. He had barely nodded when his brother Anoto spoke to him. Why are you silent, Gachiro asked his brother as they drove the cows into the village. Gachiro scowled and did not answer. Watiri came along the path on her way for a jug of water. Jambo, hello, Anoto. Jambo, Gachiro, she called. Jambo, Watiri, replied Anoto. Gachiro scowled and would not say a word. Jambo, totos, called Mama Semamingi as they entered the village. Gachiro scowled and was silent. Anoto returned the greeting and added, My brother refuses to talk today. Perhaps he doesn't feel well. Perhaps he's just stubborn, Mama Semamingi said, shaking her head. Later, the children gathered around the fire for their story. Anoto and his brother Gachiro came, but Gachiro sat apart from the others and said nothing. Tonight, children, I have a story about someone who decided not to talk. Mama Semamingi looked at Gachiro, who had risen to leave the circle. No, Gachiro, please stay. I'm sure you will like this story. It is really very funny. And so the little boy sat down again and the story began. Once, very long ago, there was a beautiful young maiden called Mepo. She was the daughter of the great chief Amagogo. Mepo was good and handsome, with skin like black velvet, teeth like flashing pearls, eyes with a dark diamond brightness. Her smile made all who saw her love her. And because of her great beauty, she was her father's favorite daughter. When it came time for Mepo to marry, she went to her father and said, Father, Please do not give me to the first man who offers you a great reward, nor to any man you fancy, but let me choose my own husband. He must be handsome, a valiant warrior, a fine hunter, and clever. A man like that would make a very good husband indeed. If you are looking for such a man, you may certainly choose for yourself, said Amagogo. So word came out to the other villages that the young men of the tribe may pay court to Mepo, the beautiful daughter of the chief Amagogo. They came from miles around, short men, tall men, lean men, fat men, young men, old men, all of them trying so hard to please the girl. They tried so hard that she became tired of their constant attention, and at last she refused to speak to any of them. Daughter, why do you behave so, asked her father. Your mother and I are worried because you do not speak. Mepo shook her head wearily and refused to say a word. Still, the young men and the old men came. For weeks, the spears stuck into the ground at the door of the chief's house, told all who passed by that there were many men visiting Mepo. But she only sat in the center of the admiring circle and smiled sadly. They brought her gifts of ripe fruit, melons, choice meat, and beads of many colors. Still, she refused to speak to anyone or to choose between them. Finally, her father, tired of this stubborn behavior, sent out word to the villages that he would give Mepo in marriage to anyone who would make her speak. In a village far away across the great river lived the brave young chief of another tribe. His name was Fupajina. He heard of the silent maiden and her father's offer. He went to her village 
and asked at the house of Amagogo for permission to meet her. Eochi welcomed him. Such a strong and handsome young man would make a fine husband for his daughter, he thought. How I hope you can make her speak, Amagogo, the chief said. I'm sure she will be happy with you. Pupajena was shown into the chief's hut. Mipo looked up wearily from her basket weaving. Great beauty is yours, lovely Maple, said Fupajina with a low bow. Will you be my wife? Maple lowered her eyes and refused to say a word. Fupajina had come a long way to pay court to the beautiful maiden. And so Amagogo made a bed of skins for him inside one of the houses and invited him to spend the night. It was weeding time for the rains had just passed. Early the next morning, Maple took her hoe and went to weed her maize field. Fufajena watched her go then, quietly, he followed. When they reached the field, Fufajena again said to her, Please, beautiful Maple, be my wife. But Maple did not answer. She handed him the hoe and went to sit in the shade of a tree. The young chief began hoeing with quick, short strokes, and after a while he called, Look, Maple, I have finished. Maple looked at the field and shouted angrily, Bunda, donkey, you have ruined my crop. You hold up the maze and left the weed standing? Pupajena threw down the hoe and began to laugh and dance. Maple became angry and shouted louder than before. How could anyone be so stupid? Look at what you have done. In mock fright, the young chief ran towards Amagogo's house and Maple followed, still shouting. Her father and mother, hearing the noise, met them outside. And they were overjoyed that someone had finally made their daughter speak. After her anger cooled, Maple knew that Fupajena had been clever enough to make her forget her silence. She gladly went home with him to be his wife and was never silent again. Any thoughts on this one? This is really funny. And also, um, also pretty clever too. It was, it was. And it reminds me um, of another story. I think this one is from Zimbabwe of um, how another girl tricked. Um, well, she basically was trying to find the best tutor for herself. And she tr played this prank on the boys and had them all confused. I did a tweet thread about it. Thread, thread, what is thread? Thread, it's called the beautiful girl who had no, no teeth, who had no teeth. And... What is cool was that this is was one of my experiments that I'll do here every now and then. I took the story and I rewrote it in verse form. So it's 40 stanzas long and it took pretty much the whole day, but I just shared the, the tweet in there. Um, but that's yet another story of a, a young woman who, you know, decided to marry on her own terms and came up with some scheme to to get the right man and i love these stories right there are there are a couple of others um there's a story of clever hatsumata jaura from i think this is from mali and similar thing she played a trick on all her suitors although that one doesn't end well because the jealous men from the the, the village conspire and kill her husband um, but there are quite a few stories like these um in african folklore folklore from different parts of the continent which feature you know a girl playing some kind of trick to to get uh, her suitors and they're, they're quite ingenious i have to say um quite often like and what what i really appreciate about some of them is how they reveal just 
aspects of the different cultures because I think um, uh, Hatumata uses cola knots and bones and you know all sorts of things to transmit a message and one girl like blackens her teeth and of course this one refuses to talk um, but they, they're always funny for sure and yeah I, I, I love these stories I really do but I'm curious does this sound like something anyone has heard before from their part of the world or from their part of the African continent If not, then now at least you know to keep an eye out, right? Because we are probably going to read another one of these stories um, in this space. And um, if you remember, please tell me, right? Please send me a DM or, you know, quote, tweet something. Because that that is part of the great joys of African mythology and folklore. It's one, hearing the same story being told in different parts of the African continent, but also seeing where, like, the story... Um, might differ where which other parts of the world where it, it shows up um, and how it differs or how it's similar so all right so that's all i have for today um the book like i said is um when the stones were soft east african fireside tales and this is part of um, well this was a book that we had read before as part of uh, a nancy book club um if you are interested, we just started the books for September for Nancy Book Club. And I will find the tweet and share in here. So if you want to read along with us, um, you can. September and this. Um, latest. I'm doing this in collaboration with Laura Gibbs, so it's her tweet that I'm going to share in here. But we have a series of books that we're reading, um, and then we'll talk about them sometimes, or you can tell us what you think about them on the on the Twitter timeline. So that's what I have today, friends. Thank you so much for joining. Um, we do this every Friday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. We get together, we read folklore from different parts of the African continent, and we talk about them. Um, sometimes I hear more from you guys. Sometimes it's just me going on and on and on, as has happened a lot today. But I really appreciate you, um, CC and uh, Kian, as well, for sharing your thoughts. Kian, I really, really love that you told us that uh, story from uh, from Mayans. So that's... That's a first for mythological Africans. Let me say that first of all. Um, that's a first. So I'm really, really glad you were able to join today. And um, please be safe over the weekend. Um, it's still, you know, pandemics and crazy things out there. So please, please be safe. And I will see you on the timeline. And until then, please take care of yourselves, okay? Thank you so much, everyone. Bye. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, Please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.